You're listening to the Hayek Program podcast. This podcast includes audio from lectures, interviews, and discussions from scholars and visitors of the F.A. Hayek Program for Advanced Study in Philosophy, Politics, and Economics at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. To learn more about the Hayek Program, visit hayek.mercatus.org. To learn about graduate student fellowship opportunities with the Mercatus Center at George Mason University for students at Mason as well as at universities across the globe, please visit students.mercatus.org. When uh, Professor Betke first suggested that I present this this workshop, uh, I was very much afraid that I would uh, be disappointing to you. the, the rather immodest title of this workshop, My Career as an Austrian Economist, uh, I, have se- I had serious doubts whether I had enough material uh, to fill the time slot. My career sounds as if I had a lot to say, uh, but really uh, there's much less than it might seem. Uh, but uh, so I, I indicated that to Professor Betke and uh, the brilliant uh, academic intellectual entrepreneur that he is, uh, he kindly arranged that some questions be sent to me. Uh, and uh, that would hopefully fill out, help fill out the time. But when I received those questions, I realized that there was another cause for potential disappointment. And that is because the questions assume that I'm at the center of modern Austrian economics. It is the questions assume that I'm fully up to date uh, on the interface between modern Austrian economics and the mainstream. And the questions assume that that, uh, I can give useful advice to young Austrian economists in their academic research. Uh, And uh, the, the, uh, the questions assume that my own career, career, uh, covers the entire gamut, the entire canvas of Austrian economics. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, that's not true. All of that, all of that is not true. Uh, the truth is that my career uh, has covered a very important and very central uh, part of Austrian economics, but by no means all of Austrian economics. Uh, I've been retired now for about 15 years. And during this time, I have not properly kept up with the literature, either with the Austrian economic literature or with the mainstream literature. So when I refer to the mainstream, I'm thinking about the 1980s, the graduate textbooks of the 1980s. Uh, and on top of, it, top of it, I have a long-standing conviction that professors should stop writing after they reach the age 75. Uh, from time to time, people like, like Professor Betke have twisted my arm to, uh, to write something, even though I'm a little bit over 75. Uh, but the truth is that I, I'm convinced that there are rapid negative returns uh, after a certain age. So uh, given all this, uh, when the questions came, uh, I was really uh, disturbed. I'm, 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 I, I hope that I won't be as disappointing to you as I have feared. Nonetheless, despite all of these misgivings, I have undertaken to address this workshop, and I feel privileged to do so. 
it is a wonderful feeling to, to meet so many young people who are interested in th this, this kind of work. Uh, I, I can assure you, you wouldn't have had a workshop like this uh, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, so what I think I can offer is an old man's recollections of his half-century active participation in a, a very exciting episode in the history of modern economic thought. And I'm going to give you these recollections in spite of bothersome lapses of, of detailed memory <coughs> and unmistakable signs of uh, oncoming intellectual arthritis. Uh, but I'll do my best. Uh, in general, if you want to know anything about my career, the best person to ask of, uh, about my career is Professor Betke. He knows my work <laughs> much, much better than I do. Um, he certainly read it more recently than I have. <laughs> and I do apologize for hardly at all responding to the really excellent probing questions that were sent to me. I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to address those questions as I, as I indicated. I never heard of Austrian economics until I was a graduate student. I was an economics major as an undergraduate. And I'd never heard of Austrian economics. The closest that I came to Austrian economics was not by name. Uh, I grew up in Cape Town uh, in South Africa, and a sister of mine was a student of Professor Hutt, uh, who was certainly not an Austrian, but at least had rubbed shoulders with some Austrians, certainly with Hayek and others uh, at, at, at London. But, but uh, otherwise, I had not even heard of anything remotely related to Austrian economics until I became a graduate student. I became a graduate student uh, looking for uh, graduate courses in accounting. I was in, I had finished my, um, well, when I went to college, I went to a college intending to become an accountant. And uh, as it happened, the college that I went to uh, had all its accounting courses in economics. You can begin to understand the, 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 uh, the nature of the college. Uh, all its accounting courses were part of the economics department. So I've, I graduated as a, with an economics major, but I didn't have enough accounting courses uh, to become a CPA. So, okay, I would go get a Master of Business Administration degree when I complete the necessary courses. And I signed up at uh, New York University's Graduate School of Business. And there were certain required courses for a Master of Business uh, Administration degree. Uh, so I was, I was, uh, it didn't matter to me which courses I took. And I, I had to take some courses in economics. I wasn't interested in those at all. But uh, I, if I'm taking the courses, I wanted to take them with the most uh, illustrious uh, people around. Uh, so I, I, there, was, there was this person, Mises, who seemed to have a lot of publications. So I said, well, why don't I, <laughs> why don't I sign up for his courses? And, uh, and I did. And uh, in September 54, that's when I started my, my graduate uh, education, uh, I attended m m the first session of Mises Seminar, September 54. Uh, I remember, and I've often cited this, I remember two things from that session. First of all, I remember Mises making some a rather strange remark, the market is a process. No, I didn't know what he was talking about. I, I, know, I thought I knew what a market was, 
but a process. The market is a process, okay? Uh, that was one thing that I remember from that first seminar. And the other thing that I remember from that seminar was some very uh, laudatory remarks that uh, Mises made about Murray Rothbard. Uh, Murray was present at that time. He had apparently uh, given Mises a paper that he had written, and Mises was complimenting Murray Rothbard for that, for that paper, and he expressed his conviction that Murray would continue to produce uh, important work. Th those are the only things that I remember from, that, from there. Uh, most of my courses were with non-Austrians at the Graduate School of, 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 of Business, the New York University Graduate School of Business. I took History of Thought uh, with Louis Haney, uh, and uh, that did introduce me sort of at a textbook level with the Austrian school. Uh, Haney, like other historians of thought, just talked about the Austrian school as, a, as an antique, uh, something that once existed. Um, there were footnotes referring to Mises and Hayek as still being alive and, and publishing, but it was very clear that the Austrian school was something belonging to the history of thought, strictly to the, if not to the ancient history of thought, but to the history of thought. Okay, uh, I was a student of, of Bill Peterson, uh, who, uh, who was an enthusiastic follower of Mises, and he very often gave me a ride up to the Mises Seminar. The Mises Seminar was held at the Washington Square campus, uh, at number six, Washington Square North. Uh, the Graduate School of Business was downtown at, at Trinity Place, and uh, Bill Peterson used to give me a ride very often uh, to the Mises Seminar. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, I've, I've often re recalled that one evening a week I would take a pr standard price theory course under an economist by the name of Sol Fabricant, it's not, not a widely known name these days, but he was an important economist, by no means a price theorist, but he gave a course in price theory. Uh, and the textbook was George Stiegler's uh, Theory of Price. And uh, I, I was a dutiful student of that, that book and that course. And of course, on another night, I would, I would be exposed to Mises' seminar. And that, that muddled me tremendously. The contrast between uh, the one night a week when I was studying, studying Stieglerian uh, price theory and the night of the week that I was, I was listening to uh, this strange, uh, strange talk of, of Austrian economics, uh, that confused me. And it confused me for about 10 years until I got things straight. Um, <clears throat> by the end of my first year as, as a graduate student, I had decided I was not going to become an accountant. Uh, I received my Master of Business Administration in uh, June 55, and I had applied to Johns Hopkins uh, to continue my studies in economics. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why I had the guts to do so, but I went to Mises and asked his advice. Should I accept this fellowship offer at, at Hopkins, or should I stay at NYU? And I've always uh, thought of this as a matter of great integrity in, uh, in, on the part of Mises. He told me, go to Hopkins. 
Now, I, I would like to, you to realize that at that time, Mises had virtually no students. He had people around the seminar table, but he had no real students uh, who were interested in an academic career under his tutelage. And yet, Mises told me, go to Hopkins. Machlop is a good teacher, he said. Machlop is a good teacher. So, uh, but I didn't. I stayed with Mises. And Mises immediately, as soon as I told him that I was planning to stay, he immediately arranged a fellowship for me at, at, uh, at NYU. It was an Earhart Fellowship. He, what he told me to do was to write a paper. He t gave me a topic for the paper. And I'm always extremely grateful for that paper. If, I'm, if, if, if I was to talk about my career as an Austrian economist, uh, I would say that my career was based on that paper, which was entirely at the suggestion of, of Mises. The, the uh, suggestion that he, he gave me was to focus on the change between, on the contrast between Lionel Robbins' 1932 book, The Nature and Significance of, of, of Economics, uh, and, uh, and the, the Misesian human action approach. And I, I, I wrote my paper, I received my fellowship, and eventually I used that topic as the basis for my doctoral dissertation, which became eventually the, my first book, The Economic Point of View of 1960. But I have to confess that I didn't really understand, although I wrote a paper and I wrote a, wrote a, wrote a dissertation and uh, published a book, I didn't really understand the importance of that topic that Mises had suggested until about 10 years later. I must say that I spent most of those 10 years reading human action, along with other material, of course. But I, it, I found human action a very, very difficult book, as many of you have, have found it. It's a very difficult book. Mises is, was, was unfortunately not a skillful writer in English. He, did, he was not able to transmit his ideas, at least not to me, uh, in a clear way. It took me about 10 years until I understood, and I don't claim to, under, to have understood everything in, in, in human action, but it took me 10 years of, 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 of study, uh, in, and of course study in other uh, branches, other, other schools of economic thought, to understand the nuances of Misesian economics, and it was it was only till about at about 19, 19 uh, well what would, that would have been uh, that would have been around the late sixties that I be, I felt that I really understood what 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 set Mises apart and why his work in Austrian economics was so important. Let me say a few words about the Mises seminar in those years. Mises had a seminar, and in that seminar, there were there, there were two types of people in that seminar. It was, it was around a it was around a, uh, a, a a seminar table in a very ornate room in Washington Square North, Six Washington Square North. Uh, Mises used to describe it as a Mises take, as a seminar taking place in a saloon. What he meant was a salon, I guess, but he, but, but, <laughs> but he was trying to be English, so he said it's in a saloon. So, 
So at, at that, around that table, there were two types of people. There were people who took the seminar to get three credits. These were people who were working hard during the day in Wall Street. They were taking graduate courses for a master's in business administration. And they knew that they would get an easy pass. There was no exam. There was no, there was no requirement. And you simply had to attend. And if you attended, you got full credit. So they would come and enjoy uh, the, the siesta. Uh, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were fast asleep. That's what I meant when I said Mises had no students. It really had, he, he, the people who came, the, the students, were simply there to sleep. Uh, Mrs. Mises used to, she didn't fall asleep, I can assure you. <laughs> uh, and at 10 past nine, which was the time when the seminar was supposed to conclude, 7.25 to 9.10 was the, was the time slot, she would be waving to her husband, you know, <laughs> uh, alerting him to the time, it's time to stop, it's time to stop this, the seminar. Uh, the, but the, the, this, as I say, the one type of person was, was these quasi-students. The other type of person were, was uh, wonderful people who were not academics at all, not students at all. Uh, there were pe people like Larry Furtick, like Bettina, Bettina Being Greaves, who were not, uh, not academicians at all, not students, not academicians. They were enthusiasts of, of Mises, and they would gather around Mises to protect him from any, any questions. If you asked a question of Mises, they, these, uh, these defenders of Mises would think you're trying to somehow uh, hurt him and they would immediately react. It was not a healthy situation. It was not a healthy situation. The, the Misesian approach was seen as a, as a dogma, which you, if, if you're here, you better have, show respect for it. You don't ask questions. You don't question that dogma. Uh, and, um, and, and I, I, I would like to say a few words about that, that culture uh, surrounding Mises in those years. It was not a healthy culture. I understand how it, it developed. Uh, Mises, Mises in, of course, in Europe, had been a prominent academician in Vienna, uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in Switzerland, he had been a, a, a world-famous economist. His books were widely known respe and respected. They may have been treated as old, to some extent old-fashioned, as uh, uh, maybe as uh, out of style uh, one way or another, but le at least his academic standing was unquestioned. In the United States, he came, he came as, a, as, a, uh, as an older person. He came in his 60s. Uh, he, he, uh, he, was not, he was not treated well. He was not treated well. He was, not, he was never offered a, uh, the kind of academic position that he, he, he was really warranted. He never received such a position. And he, he, became, uh, he became to be cherished by a group of non-academicians who, with, a, with the healthiest of motives and the healthiest of, of reasons, uh, tried to protect him. And uh, this attitude tended to, uh, to emphasize and to reinforce 
a general understanding that Mises had no position, no standing in academic circles. And that was most unfortunate. That was most unfortunate. I, I understand how this happened. I do understand how this happened. And I have the highest respect for those who tried to, to protect him. Uh, someone like Larry Furtick uh, was, in, was, was, he was, a, I believe, a member of the Board of Trustees of the New York University. And it was he who arranged uh, Mises visiting professorship. He was never a, a, a regular faculty member at the university. Uh, he was, his, his salary was paid from the outside. And uh, it was Furtick who, who uh, ensured that he would have at least this, this, this standing in the, at the university. Uh, people like Henry Hazlitt. Ha Hazlitt was a brilliant, brilliant writer and, and, and uh, deep, uh, deep economic understanding, but he was no, he was no academician. He was not an academician. And uh, others at the time, there were, there were people who were close to, young people who were close to Murray Rothbard, people like George Reisman, uh, and others, Hammerway, and, and others at that time, they would come to, to, in the seminar. But none of them were, were really students in the sense that, that you'd expect a person like Mises to be able to, uh, to project to a new generation of, 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 uh, uh, of young people who could understand what he was about. And, um, and I must say, this, this aura of, of dogma that surrounded Mises has not completely been dissipated. And from time to time, I've, I've found it necessary to draw attention to that and to criticize it. Uh, it's important to, for that Mises should be exposed to criticism. People have to understand Mises. Mises is not easy to understand. Uh, I'm, I'm no guarantee that everything that Mises said is the truth, but th I've also long ago found that it's very difficult to say Mises is wrong. The reason why you can't say Mises is wrong is because you probably haven't understood what he was trying to say. That's, that's, the, that's really the truth. Mises, as I say, his, his exposition in English was less than ideal. And I've found again and again that it's necessary to dig deeper beneath the prose of Mises to get to what he was saying. So I'm, I'm, I'm very careful before I say Mises is wrong. I may not agree with Mises. I may not understand it. I may not accept it. But I've learned long, long ago that one is on slippery ground if you simply, well, I've, I've, I've understood Mises and he's wrong. Uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to say that. Nonetheless, uh, that's not the same thing as, as the dog, dogmatic acceptance of everything that Mises said. And in, in, when, when I was writing my competition entrepreneurship, one of the things I had in mind was to translate Mises into language that the mainstream of the profession could appreciate and understand. Uh, that was that was the purpose, and I believe it's necessary to. It's only through that type of work that Austrian economics has succeeded, as it has, uh, to become part of the conversation among economists in general. So I I, I I'm paying a good deal of attention uh, to this aura of dogmatism that that surrounded the Mises uh, seminar. 
I understand how it how it how it emerged, uh, and I don't believe Mises himself was to blame for that. Although although I do recognise that Mises could be very angry at people who disagreed with him. I understand that. My my impression was my I must say. After reading the recollections of people who had participated in Mises' seminar in Vienna, it's my understanding, my impression, no more than an impression understanding, that in, during that, those years, Mises was open-minded and let anyone say whatever he wanted, okay? And it was perfectly okay to disagree with Mises, it was perfectly okay. After having spent most of his life listening to all kinds of nonsense, patient, <laughs> patiently, patiently listening to all kinds of nonsense, Mises in his old age, when one gets older, one gets impatient, Mises in his old age came to feel he's heard all that before. It nonsense is time to call it nonsense. And that's perhaps the reason why in his American uh, era, uh, Mises projected the impression of being intolerant and, and not, not open to criticism. I think that during his, 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 the central years of his, of his career in, in Vienna and, and in Switzerland, that, that, that was not the case. Once again, I, I do wish to, to show appreciation to extend my appreciation for the role of the non-academic supporters of Mises. Uh, particularly, uh, I would mention the role of the Foundation for Economic Education. Um, Leonard Reed, who, who led the foundation, was a, an outstanding intellectual figure. He, he gave Mises a base the NYU was not his base. The Foundation for Economic Education was a base for Mises. He, he gave, him gave him a certain stability. And uh, I have the highest regard for the work that Leonard Reed did for Mises. Uh, and I must say, uh, when I, in, in the late 60s, when I uh, was in need of funding to continue my research, it was Leonard Reed who put me in touch with sources of funding, which eventually made possible the Austrian program that, that at NYU that, uh, that Professor Betke has kindly mentioned. Okay. So uh, although I've, I'm criticizing to some extent the non-academic aura that surrounded Mises at FEE as well, at Foundation of Economic Education as well, I do not, do not wish to be misunderstood I have the highest regard and, and the deepest appreciation for what Leonard Reed and the Foundation of Economic Education and others such as Larry Furtick and Henry Hazlitt uh, were able to do for, for Mises. Let me, let, me go back to, let me go back to the term Austrian economics. I remember at the time I was... Uh, Taking my oral exams from, for the PhD at NYU, uh, Professor Kuiper, he was the leading economist at that time in the department. Uh, Professor Kuiper, after all kinds of questions and so on, he asked me, do you identify yourself as an Austrian economist? 
And I was taken aback and I said, yes. And he says, well, I don't. <laughs> and I thought that was the end of it. So the term Austrian econ economics at that time, Austrian economists, was not a term of, of, uh, uh, of celebration. Uh, this was this, this, I remember one of my senior colleagues in the department at NYU, uh, when he found out that I was writing my dissertation under Mises, he says, Mises, he hasn't had an idea, hasn't had a new idea in 20 years. That was his, that was his reaction. Uh, was his, and he was, he was generally uh, sympathetic to the, to the free market approach of, of, of Mises. Nonetheless, he, he, that, that was, that was the, 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 the picture. In September 57, on receiving my degree, I began teaching at NYU in the School of Commerce. Uh, I received a Volcker, fellow, a Volcker Fellowship uh, that released me from teaching in order to write up my dissertation. My dissertation uh, ha had been on the definitions of economics, as I indicated earlier. Uh, but. but in order to finish my dissertation on time, I cut off that history in the year 1900. But I completed that and recast it, not in chronological terms, but in topical terms, uh, for my book, Economic Point of View. And uh, I, 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 as, I, as I mentioned earlier, that book is certainly uh, to be traced back to the topic that Mises gave me several years earlier, assigned to me several years several years earlier, and I believe that it's that topic that has been the backbone of my own uh, research work throughout, throughout my career. Um, but I, I, as I mentioned earlier, it was only by the end of the 60s, it was 10 years after I began teaching, that I really felt that I understood what Mises was about what the real difference between Robbins and Mises really was and why that was cru of crucial importance. You have to understand that Robbins was, and was, was very much under Austrian influence. If you look at the, at the 1932 book, you'll see in, in the preface that he, he extends, extends uh, his, his recognition of his time, the time spent in Vienna. Uh, the writers that he cites are, are, are prominent Austrians, including Hayek, Mises, and others. Uh, he was writing that book under Austrian influence. But the, it was the Austrian influence of the 1920s. It's important to recognize that it was the Austrian influence of the 1920s. And Mises always had a high respect for Robbins, but he went in, in assigning the topic that I mentioned earlier, he was interested in drawing a sharp line of distinction between the Robbins definition of economics and the Misesian human action uh, ident identification uh, of, of economics. <clears throat> the, the, the writing of the economic point of view, particularly the writing of the last two chapters, did a lot to force me to, to dig into the, that difference, but I still did. It took me ten years till I understood the real meaning of that difference between Robbins and Mises. I thought I had it in in my 1960 book, in chapter six I dealt with uh, Robbins. In chapter seven, the final chapter, I dealt with Mises, 
And I thought that I had the distinction clear. And I think what I wrote in that book was correct and, and valid. But I still didn't get to the, to the depth of the Misesian insight until about 10 years, uh, 10 years later. Meantime, in the 60s, what I identified as the essence of, uh, of uh, Austrian economics was not Misesian human action. I didn't identify that as, cent as the central idea. I, I identified the central idea as subjectivism, which is, makes a lot of sense. That's, that's what the definition of Austrian economics is all about. The history of Austrian economics is a history of, of subjectivist uh, thought in, uh, in economics as distinct from the classical uh, physicalist approach to economic understanding. Uh, the, the, the systematic chains of cause and effect uh, that, that pervade economic systems was identified by the classicists as, uh, as generated by the physica physical reality. Uh, it, was the, it was Menger and his colleagues and the Austrian school particularly that emphasized the, that the source of these chains of cause and systematic chains of cause and effect uh, is, to, is, the, um, is the subjective decision-making by, by participating individuals, okay? So, uh, after my economic point of view, I set about writing a textbook that would present the standard price theory uh, as uh, in terms of uh, the subjectivist uh, emphasis. The work that I found most helpful in, in writing that book was Wicksteed. Uh, Philip Wicksteed, the British uh, econ e economist who was a subjectivist. He had almost nothing to do with Austrian economics, nothing to do with the Mengerian school, but he was, he was, he, he had, he, he was a self-taught economist, subjectivist economist, and the the what he, the what the explanations that he gave from from market up for market regularities and market chains of causation were extremely helpful to me, and they 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 were the basis, along with Mises and to some extent Hayek, they were the basis for my 1963 textbook on price theory. Uh, I have to say about that textbook, I think that it, that is a unique textbook. I don't think it was adopted anywhere. <laughs> maybe, maybe I adopted it for some, maybe I used it. I, I, but, but otherwise, I don't think it was adopted anywhere. So uh, this was, uh, this was a, a unique uh, textbook. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I look back at that textbook with, uh, with, with a lot of satisfaction. I think it, it translated into textbook form uh, a lot of what I had absorbed from Mises and Hayek and Wicksteed in a systematic way. And I have every, as I say, I do feel satisfied with the book. I don't believe it reached uh, down to the full, to the full um, meaning of Austrian economics or Misesian economics. So I certainly wouldn't write that book the way I wrote it then. I wouldn't now write that book the way I wrote it then. But what I did then was, I think, an honest attempt to present standard price theory as a, 
as is in strictly subjectivist terms, decision-making terms, process terms. The, what, this much I had certainly absorbed from Mises, that the market is a process. I, by that time, I certainly understood what Mises meant when he had said that market is a process. The market is a process. It's a process of decision-making. It's a process of revisions in decision-making. And what I tried to do is to present price theory in its process uh, in its process sense, uh, rather than as an equilibrium exercise, series of equilibrium exercises. Uh, this, this was, this was my, my, my 1963 book. Uh, I, I do recall that when that book was given out to review, it was review, review it in, in manuscript form before it was published, uh, Murray Rothbard, uh, commented on that, I believe Pete in his, uh, in his uh, introduction to the, uh, to the Liberty Fund issue uh, cites that, but I recall that very, very well, very, very, very clearly. He criticized this as carrying water on both shoulders. In other words, I was being criticized as being an Austrian, uh, but, but, uh, as, and, and trying to be a mainstream economist at the same time. And there is, uh, I recognize that may be some basis for that, for, for that comment. I wouldn't necessarily call it a criticism, uh, but th there was some basis for that. I was trying to present standard price theory as perceived through subjectivist lenses, uh, through, through the, through a, from a perspective that recognizes that all the regularities that standard economics uh, does, uh, does present us with those, those uh, regularities are to be traced back to individual decision makers, to decision, decisions being made and being revised. And I think that that, that book uh, was, was, uh, was a, a, I think, a satisfactory uh, presentation of where I stood at that time. My next work was an essay on capital. And here again, I was simply trying to be a subjectivist. I was simply trying to make sense out of the mass of material. Uh, Professor White here is, is, is sitting here and he knows how, uh, how confusing and how complex and how difficult uh, the material and capital theory is. Uh, Professor White has, has written an, a, a superb, uh, a superb edition of, of, of Hayek's Pure Theory of Capital. Uh, what I was trying to do in my 19, little 1966 book was to go through that literature and, and sort of make sense out of it in purely subjectivist terms. And that was not easy. And I found myself grappling, uh, w w disagreeing with Hayek, disagreeing with Bohm Bauwerk, uh, sharply disagreeing with Frank Knight, of course, uh, and, uh, and, and, but I believe making sense out of capital, the concept of capital, uh, and how capital enters into economic understanding. So I am, uh, I, 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 I look back at that book with a, with a great deal of satisfaction. Uh, I, later on, I republished it uh, as part of a book entitled Essays on Capital and Interests, uh, this was called an essay on capital, and I added on a few pieces on interests uh, that I'd written based on basically Misesian ideas of pure time preference theory. 
and uh, I was hoping that that would gel to some extent with the capital, with the essay on, on, on capital. But you notice that all my work through these years in the early 60s was, was based on this understanding Austrian economics and Mississian economics as, as fundamentally subjectivist, meaning that phenomena, economic phenomena, have to be traced back to the decision. But the notion of a decision was not, was not fundamentally changed from what standard economists understood by a decision. That I understood that a decision represented, as Robbins had taught us, a, a, uh, a constrained maximization exercise. Everybody who stands, starts micro-theory recognizes that decisions are constrained maximization exercises. One wishes to maximize goals uh, with a given, given means. You're constrained by your means and you, want to, uh, and you want to achieve an allocation pattern that maximizes your attainment of goals within the constraints uh, imposed by, uh, by your means. And I think that was fine as far as it, it went, but I repeat, this is still because I was still busy reading human action. This was still during the first 10 years and I was still busy reading human action. By the end of the 60s, I saw the light. What happened was, I remember it very clearly, I remember the exact place where I was when I saw the light. It, I had been invited to present a paper at the Montpellerin Society meeting uh, in, uh, in Vichy, I believe it was at the time. That was uh, 1967, I believe, 68, 67, 68, Vichy, Vichy meeting of Montpellier Society. And uh, while I was preparing that, that paper, I began to realize that when Mises was talking about human action, he was defining human action in entrepreneurial terms. Mises says it directly. He said every, every decision is an entrepreneurial decision. He says that, but I, ha I hadn't quite realized what he meant. The difference between Robbins and Mises was the difference between a non-entrepreneurial view of the decision and a Misesian entrepreneurial view of the decision, which Mises called human action. I had never understood why Mises chose human action as the name of his treatise on economics. It seemed to me a crazy title. <laughs> It seemed to me to be absolutely senseless to call, to call a book on economics human action. And yet, me, and, and, and I, am, I'm, I, I still believe that Mises was not successful in projecting what he was trying to do. It took me 10 years to, to, to get it, to get what he was trying to get. But he was getting at the point that decision-making is not an exercise in constrained maximization. He was getting at the insight that every every Decision is an entrepreneurial decision. We live in an open-ended world where when you make a decision, you're not choosing an allocation pattern within a given framework. You are choosing your framework. You are identifying your framework. That is the human action concept. That is the entrepreneurial concept. And that transforms all economics. Once you've got that, you've got a different understanding of, of economics. And it, as I say, it took me 10 years to grasp that, that insight of, of, of Mises.
And as, as I say, it was, it, it, was, it was in my preparing the, the, the paper for the Montparnasse Society meeting, and uh, uh, Professor Betke has, has picked on that paper as, as, the pre, as the beginning of my work on, on competition entrepreneurship, and he was absolutely right. That is Professor Betke's editorial genius in, in identifying that particular paper. Um, during the 60s, I began a correspondence with Ludwig Lachmann. Lachmann was, was a unique person in modern Austrian economics. He, wasn't an Aust he was not an Austrian economist, but you let me say that outright. He was not an Austrian economist. But without him, Austrian economics would not exist today. Okay? He, he wrote to me soon after I published my economic point of view in the early 60s. And uh, he would write a letter. I would... Uh, respond after a few weeks or months. I, I wasn't a, 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 a very uh, uh, prompt, uh, punctual correspondent. But after a while, I would respond and thank him for the letter. And, 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 and this went on for many, many years, many years. I had a big pile of correspondence uh, with, with Lachman on that. And uh, in, in the uh, when you look at it from the long-run perspective, you know, from the perspective of my career as an Austrian economist, when you look at it from the long-run perspective, you have to recognize that was important in my career. First of all, it, was, it, it made me feel less lonely. You've no idea how lonely I was <laughs> as an economist. I'm happily married. But, <laughs> but you've no idea how lonely I was as an economist. Okay, and here was a professor of economics, the, the held the, he held the chair, you know, in 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 the, in, in the British uh, Empire, uh, the chair of economics is is your your the whole department. So he had the chair of economics at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, and he was writing to me. I, I felt the, the the honor that he was it, 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 that, that that this was doing to me. And he was interested, and I began to realize that, that this was a kindred spirit. He seemed to have a high regard for Mises. I say seemed, because later on, after 20 years or so, I realized that he couldn't stand a Misesian economics. Uh, but it took me, he was so polite. Lachman was so polite, it took me years and years to realize that he and I were, didn't, disagree, didn't agree on anything. <laughs> But that correspondence, that correspondence was of great value to me, of great value. He, first of all, he took away the feeling of academic loneliness, okay? And, in the, and, and also, it, it widened my perspective. He was, he was a student of Hayek from London. He was, uh, of course, a shackle. He was associated with Shackle's work. He was he, the proudest thing that that that, that Shackle that uh, Lachman what gave gave Lachman the greatest pride was where Shackle would quote him uh, as, as in one of his books. Uh, he, he he felt tremendously proud of that. And uh, Lachman's contribution to the development of Austrian economics is extremely important. I had the privilege of inviting. Ludwig Lachmann to NYU when you retired from uh, from University of Wartesrand uh, in the 70s. Uh, I was able to bring him 
And I must say, uh, Fritz Machlup uh, was helpful in getting him proved in, in the department. I was able to get him uh, accepted as, as a visiting professor in the department. And he came for quite a number of years, and he had a great uh, contribution. He made a great contribution to uh, the development of the Austrian program at New York University. As I say, somewhere along the line, I realized that he and I disagreed on, on basically everything in, in economics. But he was, he was not only tremendously polite, he was very careful not to criticize anybody, but he was also very profound. He was extremely profound. And and his, his, his criticism of Austrian economics was very healthy for our, our, our own students. Uh, many of them were able to, uh, to, uh, to develop their own thinking th primarily through the interaction with Ludwig Lachmann at, around the seminar table, their colloquia, uh, and by long discussions with him. Uh, I have my reservations about, the, about some of the consequences of that interaction, uh, but I, I always feel a great sense of, uh, of appreciation uh, to, uh, to Ludwig Lachmann uh, and for not only for what he meant for me personally in, in my career, uh, but for what he meant for us, for Austrian economics. Let me say something about South Royalton. In 1974, there was a conference held at South Royalton. South Royalton, I'm, 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 I've never heard of it till then. I, I, don't, I don't believe it means anything to me except for this conference. Uh, it's, a, it's a forlorn place. Uh, but the entrepreneurial genius of, of people like George Pearson, uh, was responsible for a conference held in the early 70s at a time when Austrian economics was still very much in its infancy in the United States. I recall in a, at, a, at a meeting before the conference was launched, before it was, the planning was, 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 was sort of set, there was a discussion what to call it. Should we call it a conference on Austrian economics? Or, or something else? I don't remember the other alternatives. But finally, it was understood it was going to be a conference on Austrian economics. And that was a conference in which they were able to identify about 30, 40 people who had some affinity to Miss Sassian, Hayekian, uh, non Chicago type of economics. Okay? And uh, the, the three. The three lecturers there were, uh, were Mary Rothbard, Ludwig Lachmann, and myself. Okay, uh, I'm the only survivor of, of, of those lecturers, uh, but that, that conference was extremely important. It brought together uh, a, many, many individuals who were not sure where they belonged. Many of them came, came with, uh, they came, if they would have asked them, are you in Austrian economics, they would say, no, 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 no I'm not in Austrian economics, I, I, I have uh, sympathies with it, and so on. Uh, but that, that conference was, was an important historical episode. As I, as, I, as, I, 
as I've indicated, I believe it was an extraordinarily successful entrepreneurial, academic entrepreneurial venture, uh, in which George Pearson and others, uh, which, they, which they launched. Okay. At the same time, this conference introduced Lachman to the wider group of, Aust of American Austrians. It also, I believe, uh, it accentuated certain differences between Mari Rothbard and myself uh, on, on doctrinal and other uh, issues, okay? And, uh, and that, all of that has been important in the subsequent history of, of Austrian economics. It was in those years that uh, I was able to bring to NYU uh, young scholars like uh, Maria Rizzo and, and Ger Gerald Driscoll. Uh, and we were able to launch the, the colloquium, the Austrian colloquium at NYU, which proceeded for many years and which still, still continues under a slightly different, different title. Uh, but, but that was extremely important. Uh, Professor Lachmann was, was there and uh, it was, uh, it, I, I believe, it was a, an important uh, stage in the development of modern Austrian uh, Austrian economics. Uh, to indicate the difference between the atmosphere at that time and the atmosphere today, is I remember in 1981, I was participating in some meeting at, in Vienna, in Vienna. Uh, and I made the announcement, I don't know why I made such a provocative announcement, but I said, I believe I'm the only Austrian economist in the room. Uh, it didn't go down well. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I apologize. I, I, I'm not the only Austrian economist in the room today. <laughs> but at that time, I remember I made the, I made I made that comment, and and that I think uh, captures the sense in which uh, one was uh, one was lonely in the academic profession of, of economics at that time. Back this was earlier in the early 80s, 81. I've, I've not mentioned one earlier episode which I think was important in my own career. And that was an exchange which I had with Gary Becker. This was in the early 60s, 1962. Gary Becker had written a paper in which he, was able, which he thought he was able to liberate economics from the rationality assumption. The rationality assumption was philosophically uh, excess baggage. Was, 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 I shouldn't say excess baggage, it was, it was inconvenient baggage. Because uh, not everybody seems to be rational and so on. And if economics is based on the rationality assumption, that seems to make it somewhat unrealistic. Uh, and so Becker at that time thought he had a, a way of showing that the downward sloping demand curve didn't depend on the rationality assumption. Or standard microeconomics uh, talks about maximizing decisions on the part of consumers, and that that explains how, when price goes down, people buy want to buy more, and so on. And he he believed that by showing, uh, which he may have been successful in showing, that you can generate the downward sloping demand curve without any rationality hypothesis. Uh, he believed that was a great methodological advance for uh, for economics because it liberated economics from the rationality assumption. And what I pointed out was, and this had to do with the process idea. With strictly Mises, an idea, 
that, that the, uh, I pointed out that the rationality assumption is not crucial so much for the fact that it explains why demand curves slope down. It's crucial for explaining why price tends to gravitate towards the intersection of supply and demand curves. Why, when they, when they, when they uh, you have started out from an initial above equilibrium price, why does price tend to fall? You can't explain that without rationality. The rationality assumption means that people change their decisions on the basis of what they realize is the truth. That's where the rationality assumption comes in. And it was, it was that, that was an exchange which I had. And I, I repeat, this was in 1962, five years before I, 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 I had fully understood what Mises was about with the entrepreneurial idea. But this was a step. This was, I think, a significant step towards that realization. Most of what I've done since the, 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 the 80s, well, uh, there's one book that I wrote in the 80s having to do with, this, with the, the distributive justice, which I think is a book that has perhaps been uh, to some extent ignored. Uh, I believe it was an, a significant contribution to the theory of justice, the theory of justice, economic justice, theory of distribution. It was an entrepreneurial uh, it was an attempt to understand the distributive uh, system uh, in entrepreneurial terms, okay? But beyond that, most of our work has been in terms of history, the history of the, uh, of the Austrian development since uh, World War II, uh, or since before, it's the decade before World War II, from the middle 30s and on. And that's because I've always felt, and I've presented this many, many times, I'll be presenting it in the, the, the Austrian seminar this, this evening. I've always believed that there was a, a dramatic, a dramatic episode in the history of thought that Austrian economics, which was virtually written off by the end of the 30s, in fact, during the next decade, presented dramatic advance in the work of Hayek and Mises. It wasn't recognized at the time. I don't believe Hayek and Mises recognized what they were doing, but they were radically deepening the body of Austrian theory which they had received. And that, the, the, their work in that, I believe, needs to be underlined and emphasized. And most of my work since then has been uh, along those lines. Let, 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 me, let me conclude by, by making a, a, a remark on mathematical economics. For a long time, people had the idea, well, Austrian economics is not mathematical economics, which could mean that Austrian economists are not smart enough to do mathematical economic, ec economics. I guess that's true for me, but, but it may, I don't think it's true for all Austrians. Okay. I think that the, 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 important, the important reason why Austrian economics has not emphasized mathematics is because Austrian economics is a matter of insight. Insight. What do I mean by ma a, a matter of insight? Supposing somebody tells you that the price of the screwdriver depends on the rate of interest. Well, the insight that the decisions that govern 
the price of screwdrivers depends on the rate of interest, that's a, set, that's, a degree, that's a set of insights that can be expressed in mathematical terms after you've got the insight. But you first have to get the insight. The idea that when people exchange, there's mutual benefit is something that you can put into mathematical terms, but it's a matter of insight. Recognizing human purposes is a matter of insight. Austrian economics is a matter of insight. When I say it took me 10 years to understand what Mises was trying to say, what I, what I, what I'm saying, it took me 10 years to get that insight into the Misesian system, okay? And that is why I, I'm not in any way criticizing mathematical economics. I'm pointing out what mathematical economics cannot do. It cannot substitute for insight. And economists must be able to deploy their insight. The, you, can, you can talk about constrained maximization, but constrained maximization does not convey the insight that people notice opportunities. Noticing an opportunity is something that's outside, outside uh, the mathematical formulation. It's a matter of insight. And I believe that the, the as I look back on, uh, on uh, my career, okay, uh, I believe that what I've been able to achieve for myself is to recognize the insightful content of Misesian economics. Not, not to claim that everything that Mises wrote was true or correct or valid. I'm not claiming that. I'm claiming that Mises, in spite of his, uh, of his inability to convey that, those insights in a, in, a, in a comfortable and easy, convenient way, nonetheless, nonetheless was able to get at the truth in a, in a, at a way that's deeper than can be achieved uh, in any other way. Uh, I look back on Hayek's work as extremely important and valuable. His exposition was superb. Uh, I believe that the Misesian insights go to some extent beyond the Hayekian insights. And it's that, in that sense that I am, uh, I am uh, privileged to consider myself uh, a student of Ludwig von Mises. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Hayek Program podcast. To learn more about the research, scholars, and work of the Hayek Program, visit hayek.mercatus.org. For more information about graduate student fellowship opportunities for students at Mason, as well as at universities across the globe, please visit students.mercatus.org. We hope you recommend students to our programs or consider applying yourself.